0: Hello and welcome to COND, a podcast all about con artists, cheats, liars and fraudsters where each week we delve into a different true story of wild deception. And today's tale is a relatively recent one as we head to the 90s and early 2000s. I'm Michael.
1: And I'm Amy. Today we explore the rather harrowing tale of a man who incredibly managed to convince people he was a spy working for MI5 and that they needed to go into permanent hiding to avoid being the target of terrorists. A number of lengthy and complex cons with many, many victims, combining misogyny, control, theft, and fraud. At his trial, it would be described as an unbelievable odyssey of deceit. This is the story of Robert Hendy Freeguard.
0: Robert Fregard was born in 71, in a small town in Derbyshire called Hodthorpe. One of his school teachers described him as an odd boy who used to stare a lot. The teacher even said she found it unsettling how he would never appear to blink in classes, like he was transfixed on the teacher. Robert's mother actually worked as a dinner lady, and Robert's closeness with his mother earned him the moniker of Mummy's Boy amongst the other pupils. Apart from that though, He was fairly normal throughout school and wasn't particularly unpopular, like he had friends. It was later in life that his obsessive behaviour began.
1: During college, Robert had his first girlfriend, a teacher six years older than him called Alison Hopkins. It was a relatively short-lived relationship, but Fregard was smitten and devastated when it ended. Robert was determined to win her back so started camping outside her house. little, a little bit, bit
0: creepy. <laughs> <No>. oh, <jinx. laughs>
1: she actually moved away to get away from him, and Robert followed her to Shropshire. Again, a little bit keen, a little bit weird. She reported Freeguard to the police for stalking, and he seemed to eventually back down. But now based in Shropshire, this is where Freeguard's elaborate and lengthy con would begin.
0: In 1992, Robert Fregard got a job as a barman in the Swan pub in Newport. The pub was close to a farming college, the Harper Adams Agricultural College, so a number of the young farming students would visit the pub on evenings and weekends. Freegard was able to befriend a number of the students, three in particular, Sarah Smith and her housemates, John Atkinson and Maria Hendy.
1: To understand Robert's con, we first need to get an idea for what was going on in Britain at the time. In the early 90s, there was a general fear across the UK of the IRA and news reports often focused on the troubles in Northern Ireland, leading to heightened sensitivity.
0: So, the UK in the 90s, I I mean, it's a bit of a harsh comparison, but I suspect the IRA instilled similar feelings in people that, like, ISIS would now. Do you know what I mean? People just immediately get nervous at the mention of them. And later on in the 90s, there was quite a few bombs and attacks led by the IRA. So it was justified, I guess.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was this national nervousness that Freegard tapped into to fuel his deception.
0: Freeguard befriended the three students over a period of months as they often visited the Swan pub. Eventually, Freeguard singled out John Atkinson and told him that he wasn't a barman at all. He basically said to him, Look, do you really believe that someone as sophisticated, as charming, as well-spoken as me would be working in a pub as a barman? Oh, no, no, no. I am, in fact, an undercover agent working for MI5. He told John Atkinson that he had been deployed in Shropshire as the Agricultural College had been identified as a centre for IRA activity and that his job was to monitor students to identify any possible threats. Now some fertilizer ingredients are sometimes used to make bombs so it was a sort of tenuous but kind of believable concept I guess. One of Atkinson's friends had also recently committed suicide and Freeguard managed to convince him that it wasn't suicide but rather that he had been murdered by the IRA. Now this is a classic command trick. This is you know playing on people's fears, playing on people's vulnerabilities to convince them of nonsense. If a barman randomly told you that he was working for MI5, would you believe him?
1: Probably not, because I thought if you 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 couldn't tell anybody, so I'd be very suspicious. But I think also it's clever to play on, like, a recent... Something that's probably quite emotive for um, the guy, Mr. what's his name, John.
0: The, what, the fact that his friend had just committed suicide?
1: Yeah, because then that maybe might, might make it more believable. It's
0: the emotion, isn't it, that draws you into that lie, then, I guess, yeah.
1: Freeguard told John that he had been singled out by MI5 for a secret and very important mission – to help identify possible threats at the college. This is why he was now privy to the classified information of his supposed affiliation to MI5. Of course before you can start working for MI5 you will need some training. Robert Freeguard started beating Atkinson and told him that he needed to take the beatings. This was a test of his loyalty to MI5 and also a test that he wouldn't break if he was ever tortured by the IRA. Around this time, Robert Fregard had begun dating one of the other three students, Maria Hendy.
0: So quite a bizarre situation. I mean, this is only the start of this. So he's got John Atkinson in a cellar in a pub and he's beating the shit out of him. Meanwhile, he's dating his flatmate. <laughs>
1: This is making me feel quite uneasy already, this one.
0: Yeah, this is a this is a, this is is a strange story. It's not
1: lols, is it? This one, no.
0: it's... Yeah. A few months later, John Atkinson was totally convinced by Freeguard's MI5 credentials. So Freeguard decided to move the story forward with his next big lie. Freeguard told Atkinson that their cover had been blown and the IRA now knew about their involvement with MI5. This meant that Robert and John... And by association, Maria and Sarah were in grave danger under threat from terrorists. They had to get out of town, but the girls must not know about the IRA. It's OK, though, because Robert Freegard had a plan. Freeguard convinced John to tell Maria and Sarah that he was terminally ill and didn't have long to live.
1: This guy is an absolute psychopath isn't he? I don't like to use the word but he is.
0: Yeah I mean <laughs> it's early days yeah but <laughs> I think all the hallmarks are there yeah. Um, and again a bit like with the IRA and his friend's suicide he's now telling John to tell his friends that he's terminally ill. It's the emotion isn't it and that's how he's luring people into his lies uh, playing on people's fears and vulnerabilities yeah. I guess.
1: Like he's being emotionally abusive isn't he before maybe that was a term that was recognised and understood as well.
0: Mm, yeah absolutely yeah.
1: Three guards suggested the four of them go on a final holiday for John and told John that he would explain everything to the girls once they were out of town. Would you have gone on a holiday with this guy? So it's your pub
0: landlord, your best mate who's apparently terminally ill. If you're Maria and Sarah, would you have gone? The difficulty is, as much as they probably thought the barman was a bit weird, their mate has just said, I'm dying. I'm going to be gone in a few months. This is the last hurrah. Come on holiday with me. I suppose you probably would go, yeah?
1: Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? He's sneaky, isn't he? This Mr. Freeguard. The three friends and Freeguard left for the South Coast. Once they arrived, Freeguard filled in Sarah and Maria on his fantasy world of espionage.
0: He wants to be James Bond, doesn't he? I think. And that, in fact, that comes up again and again in this story. Um, you can just imagine him telling these two girls randomly whilst they're I don't know where they are like in a hotel somewhere oh by the way I work for MI5 one of these girls by the way he's been dating for a few months so imagine if your boyfriend suddenly went oh by the way work for MI5 don't I
1: yeah but he was maybe hoping that like the idea of you know a bit of a secret detective spy is a bit sexy isn't it maybe you're playing on that
0: yeah quite possibly yeah I just think quite a shock to hear your boyfriend say that I would imagine (laughs) like you know
1: Free guard told them that their cover being blown meant not only them, but their families were now in grave danger. The team had packed for a month, but would be gone for much longer than that. One of them, in fact, wouldn't see their family again for over 10 years. Crikey, a whole decade. It's
0: huge, isn't it? In 1993, they stopped in Sheffield as Maria Hendy was pregnant with Robert's child. John and Sarah moved into the attic of what Robert insisted was a safe house. Freeguard imposed a strict set of rules on the house, controlling everything from what they ate to how and when they slept. Of course, the group needed money, so Freeguard sent Sarah to work in a chip shop. However, he insisted she use an alias and she changed her appearance so that she couldn't be recognized. He insisted she empty her savings so her accounts could not be traced guard then separated the group, finding separate flats for John and Sarah, but insisting they did not leave without his express permission. So he and Maria are in a house because Maria's pregnant with his kid. He's put Sarah in a different house now working in the chip shop and giving her a new name and John is in the different flat again. Meanwhile Sarah Smith's father had hired four private detectives to try and track down the whereabouts of his daughter. All of them failed.
1: Next, Freeguard used his control of the group to get money. He drove them to phone boxes, got them to call home and request that their parents send them money. He assured them that every penny would be repaid by the government once the threat had passed, but that the government couldn't fund them at this stage as the transaction would be followed. Freeguard would stand over them as they made the call and over the years, John Atkinson's father handed over three hundred and £90,000, almost all of his life savings. That is ridiculous.
0: So many times in this story, I think, what would you do if you were in that situation? And if you're John Atkinson's dad, and John Atkinson's phoning you up and saying, I'm in hiding because I'm under threat from terrorists, can you send me some money? You can't go to the police about this, but you need to send me some cash. And he does that over and over again. Would you send the money? I suppose. I suppose
1: you'd have to. Again, it's a motive, isn't it? You, you want to save your son, basically. You want to help him, don't you?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's awful. As for Robert Fregard, this is the bit of the story where he properly thinks he is James Bond, right? Um, so Robert Freegard was getting money out of all three of them and he used it to buy designer shoes, tailored suits. He bought Rolex watches and paid cash for two BMWs. From a dealer in Sheffield.
1: He's got, I don't know what the word is,
0: bollocks. He is, he's swanning around Sheffield like he's James Bond. Oh, got no shame. And he's got these three people locked up in houses that can't go out unless he says so. Oh, it's unbelievable the control he's got over these three.
1: So they wouldn't know that he bought all this stuff, would they? Well, they're not allowed out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Whilst the long ongoing con was happening with the three students, freeguard also had a number of other victims along the way. So this con with the students in the three houses. This goes on for quite a few years, but you know, Freegard's playing with other people around about the same time as well. One of these victims was Sarah Smith's landlord. He had spotted the weird comings and goings to her flat and noticed she was quite quiet and never seemed to go out very often. When he questioned it, he too was drawn into Freegard's mystery world of espionage. That's got to be a weird conversation, right? So the landlord says to guard, presumably, oh, what's going on? I see you coming and going at weird times of night. Sarah never seems to leave. And Robert just turns around and goes, oh, yeah, I'm in MI5. It's absolutely absurd.
1: I wonder whether, again, he's kind of started to believe it, you know, Mm -hmm. like he actually thinks he's in MI5. We see
0: that with a lot of the people we cover on this podcast, don't we, where we think they've told the lie so much now they they're, they're, they believe it.
1: Yeah, it's like, you know, they're in EastEnders, done the part for 30 years, and then when you watch them on I'm a Celeb... The <laughs> they basic... are that person! Yeah? yeah.
0: <laughs> Freeguard told Sarah Smith's landlord that he had a secret mission for him, and that if successful, this could lead to a career as a secret agent. Freeguard gave him a very specific set of instructions to go and buy a particular can opener from a shop in Manchester, he should buy the can opener, then head to a pub in London and deliver the can opener to the landlord. Then wait Further instructions. Again, imagine being the pub landlord. This guy walks in and goes, all right, got this can opener. I think you know what it means. See you later.
1: I'm like, I have no words. I have no idea.
0: Robert, I think Robert Hendy is just playing with control, isn't he? He's, he's testing himself to see well, what could I get these, these people to do? I'm going to send him on a wild goose chase, go send him to buy a can opener. No apparent reason, just giving himself, he's testing himself.
1: Yeah, and these people are so scared. Or They're doing so, it. Yeah. yeah. But you would be, wouldn't you? If yeah. you thought terrorists were coming after you, I'd do anything. I'd hmm. go and buy two can openers from different cities. <laughs> John Atkinson, meanwhile, was about to become a free man. One day, Freeguard was demanding more money from Atkinson's parents and they refused to pay unless Atkinson could meet in person with someone in charge. Freeguard sent John on some wild goose chases, meetings with MI5 bosses that would then be cancelled at the last minute. John eventually stood up to Freeguard, saying he would not be finding any more money. Freeguard faked concern, suggesting that without the money he could not guarantee the safety of John or his family. John agreed and went home. Shortly after, the calls from Free Guard ended. John was out.
0: Hooray for John! So, I mean, he'd been caught up in it for a few years by that point, but he's out. He's just basically just walked away. So, so far, Free Guard's victims have been John, Sarah, Maria, and Sarah's landlord. The landlord was offered a job by Freeguard as an MI5 agent, but turned it down as the payoff from Freeguard was so bad. So he and John were now out, but Sarah and Maria were still under his control. This is where freeguard starts to widen his net and finds himself more and more targets. In 1996, he met a woman called Leslie Gardner in the queue of a nightclub. He told Gardner a slightly different lie, that he was a civil servant and that he did top secret work for British nuclear fuels. Their romance was on off for a few months, so Leslie was never quite sucked in like Sarah and Maria had been. However, the following spring, Freegard told Leslie that he needed to borrow a few thousand pounds to buy himself off the force. He was going to become a civilian, he said, after a few harrowing months working in Ireland. He said he'd pay everything back after he set up a new life. She paid him. Later, in 1999, Freegard contacted her again, claiming that following the Good Friday Agreement, terrorists wanted him dead and he needed £10,000 to secure his safety. Again... Leslie paid him. As a gesture of goodwill, Freeguard gave Leslie a brand new Volkswagen to say thank you. However, unfortunately, it was repossessed a few weeks later. What I don't get about that is if you're Leslie thinking, oh, right, this guy who I kind of like is on the phone saying I need 10 grand, otherwise I'm going to get killed. Can you send me 10 grand? She sends him the money and he says, oh, thank you. Here's a car. Why would he have not just sold the car? if he had it why did he need to ask for the 10 grand that would be the question i'd be asking if i was her
1: yeah it sounds pretty suspect i don't know maybe she was just so in love and she's not seen him for three years
0: I know. <laughs> yeah i forgot about that But yeah
1: sounds slightly bizarre but you know whatever floats your boat another of Free guards victims was a newly married pa from sheffield called elizabeth bartholomew They quickly began an affair with Fregard back to his usual story of being an MI5 Supremo. One day, however, Fregard threatened to send her husband illicit photos unless she paid him. She changed jobs and changed her number and managed to avoid Fregard for a while. More on Elizabeth Bartholomew later on. All this time,
0: the mother of his now two children, Maria Hendy, was holed up in a house in Sheffield, but struggling with rent payments. This encouraged Freeguard to step up his string of victims even further to support Maria and the kids. He took a job as a salesman in a Volkswagen car showroom, which provided a prime opportunity to meet and schmooze women with money. One night, whilst on a night out with colleagues from the showroom, he tried to tell them his story about being an undercover MI5 agent, and he was basically laughed out of the pub. They said he was more MFI than MI5. Do you remember do you remember MFI? Did you ever go to MFI?
1: Is it a furniture shop? It used to
0: be a furniture shop. Yeah, it's now defunct furniture. I used to absolutely hate MFI when I was a kid. Like going there when you're when you're 7 so your parents can buy a new wardrobe. It's the most boring thing you'd ever have to do.
1: I don't think I've ever been there. You never, you never had to go to MFI,
0: MFI? I'm really quite jealous of that.
1: DFS, but oh,
0: not yeah.
1: MFI. One of the customers at his Volkswagen showroom was a Polish woman who was seven months pregnant at the time called Renata Keister. Freeguard turned on the charm and Keister and Fregard began a relationship. Another customer was a middle-aged London lawyer named Caroline Koper. They went out a few times before Freeguard convinced her to shell out for two cars. When asked on the customer satisfaction questionnaire how the salesman introduced himself, she coyly wrote, in bed, scoring him 11 out of 10 for satisfaction. He's good in bed. We'll give him that.
0: We've put a, a photo of him on, like, the socials if you want to have a look. um, Amy, the verdict?
1: I mean, he's all right, but he's not, you know. It must be his charm. Or his penis. <laughs> all
0: right.
1: <laughs> so, let's pause a mo and see where we're up to. At this point, victim-wise, we have Maria Hendy, Sarah Smith, Elizabeth Bartholomew, Renata Keister, and Caroline Cooper. He is sleeping with all of them.
0: I reckon this is like... Plate spinning at this stage, right? He's got these women in different houses around the country. Some of them are not allowed to leave without his permission, right? Sarah Smith and Maria Hendy specifically. And he must be, he's just darting around the country going to check on them all. Uh, I, I honestly don't know how he kept it up.
1: But I wonder what he said to Sarah about Maria because she was friends with Maria mm. when they were going out. Yeah, yeah. And what about the kids?
0: It's baffling, all of it. Uh, it's, I, Sarah Smith is the one who he has the most control over and we'll come to that in a minute but she, like, he, just, he robs her of 10 years of, his, of her life it's awful so at this stage I suspect it was becoming a little tricky to juggle all of his victims so at this point he decided to move Sarah Smith out of the B&B that she was hiding in to somewhere close to the car dealership that he was working at he made her get a job as a night porter at a local hotel under the name Maria Hendy So, Maria Hendy is looking after his kids. Sarah Smith moves into another weird house that he's found next to his car dealership and he makes her take the name Maria Hendy. I wonder if this is just to make his life admin a little bit easier. He's just reducing the number of names that he's got to juggle. If all of his women could be called Maria Hendy, I guess it's got to be easier on paper.
1: I'm not sure. I think that'd, you know, that'd confuse me even more.
0: Well, you'd think so, but I don't. A lot of what he does makes very little sense. Something else as well, right? He made her get a job in a hotel as a night porter. Do you want to know why he did that? So that she was working nights, he got a bed for free. Whilst she's working downstairs in the hotel, he was up in her staff quarters and got a bed for free. What an absolute lad.
1: I wonder what she told all her colleagues, though. You know, it's it's all a bit odd, isn't it? By this point he was so confident of his control over his victims that he allowed two of his women to meet each other. Freeguard told Sarah that Renata was a fellow spy. He also told Sarah that she was to pretend to be a South American who doesn't speak English. He told Sarah to live with Renata until he came to collect her. The women shared the same flat for weeks. Never speaking and both having no idea that the other was another victim. This is ludicrous. The
0: level of control is absolutely stunning, isn't it? How he's got himself into this position. I mean, we've only flown through it in like half an hour or whatever. In reality, it was we're talking like six, seven years by this stage.
1: It's serious, like psychological abuse. This, like, these Ab- absolutely, these yeah. people have gone through significant trauma, haven't they? And those little kiddies as well.
0: The kids, I mean, yeah, the kids, it must have been absolutely awful for as well. But this situation, so they're so Sarah and Renata are both living in the same house, blissfully unaware that the other person in that house is a victim. Renata doesn't
1: even know Sarah can speak English. But they don't see themselves as a victim. Or they might do, I don't know. But it doesn't sound like they do.
0: At this stage, they don't see themselves as a victim of him. They all still think they're on the run from potential terrorist attacks and they're in hiding and he's working for MR5. They don't realise yet that he's a con man.
1: But they must be absolutely petrified. Yeah. Anyway, when a friend of Renata's got suspicious of Sarah Smith's mute behaviour, Free Guard needed to move Sierra on again. Poor Saz. I feel sorry for her. He took her to Birmingham and left her in a park, telling her to stay there until he came back for her. She had just £4 pounds in her pocket, a phone with no credit and was forced to sleep on park benches. She was there for a whole week. That's absolutely horrendous. So he made her basically be homeless, with probably nowhere to shower, nowhere to eat for a whole seven days.
0: Unbelievable. On another occasion, Freeguard took Sarah Smith to Gatwick Airport and told her she must stay there for her own safety until he came back for her. She stayed in the airport building for three weeks. Airport authorities were very strict about homeless people not staying in the airport, so Sarah was careful to move around and avoid the authorities. You ever seen the movie The Terminal?
1: I have, yeah.
0: I imagine that's what that would have been like, but the problem is she wouldn't have even been in departures, which is where all the stuff is. That's where the shops are, right? It should, should have been before you go through security, which usually there's like a costa and uh, one of those left luggage places, and that's it. That's <laughs> I don't know what she did for three weeks.
1: But also, I am surprised that they didn't spot her. Like, I am surprised at that.
0: Yeah, I assume she would have just been constantly on the move. I, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> Meanwhile, Caroline Cowper, the lawyer... And Freeguard were getting serious. They even got engaged with Freeguard buying her a ring worth £6,500. Of course he paid for that with money he had scammed from Caroline, so she effectively bought her own ring. Cowper's dad was wealthy and astute and he threatened to disown Caroline if she went ahead with the wedding and this led to her getting cold feet.
1: At least someone's got sense. At least her dad is actually thinking. What are you doing, you absolute mug?
0: Yeah, I suspect it's the people that are slightly removed from the situation that are. There's alarm bells ringing here. They're not quite at the stage of going to the police about him yet. They're probably not able to put their finger on what's weird about him, but they've they've twigged that this is odd.
1: They're aware that he's a bit dodgy. Because you can be like the best liar in the world, but he is, like you said earlier, spinning an enormous amount of plates. And eventually, they are going to drop, aren't they? Looking after Maria and the girls was getting harder for Freeguard. Maria had been evicted from the Sheffield flat, so Freeguard moved them in with his mum. During the move, Maria discovered a card from Caroline Coper and confronted Robert about Caroline. Initially, Freeguard denied it, but eventually he confessed to the affair.
0: I suspect this is the first time where he's getting a bit tired of his own lies. Do you know what I mean? That's what that feels like. Like initially, he didn't want to tell Maria Hendy about Caroline and says, no, 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 I'm not having an affair. And then he just goes, oh, actually, sod it. Yeah, I am.
1: Maybe he's kind of doing that so that they don't become suspicious of the whole thing. Maybe he's kind of, like, releasing a little bit of information. Yeah, interesting.
0: I mean, he confesses to that affair. He obviously doesn't confess to the other five women that he's sleeping with, but, you know, it's a start. So after he'd confessed to the affair, Maria Hendy finally cut ties with Robert Fregard. He had had children by her and taken her name, but Fregard's control of Maria Hendy had finally come to an end. Around this time, however, Freegard had started seeing another woman, of course, an American psychologist called Kimberly Adams. Kimberly Adams is the victim that Freegard would go on to regret ever meeting. More on her in a moment. Oh, and he was back seeing Elizabeth Bartholomew as well, by the way. Remember Elizabeth from a little bit earlier on? Uh, they'd been on and off throughout all this. Uh, but now her marriage had ended, Freegard convinced her to move to London so they could be together. In London, he began his stranglehold of control on Bartholomew, insisting she change her name for safety reasons. She picked a name at random from the phone book and changed her name to Elizabeth Richardson. By now, Fregard had finessed the formula for control, so was able to achieve the effects much quicker than he had in the past. He made Elizabeth cut all ties with her past and even made her dress in full saris to avoid being recognised. Despite not being loaded, he also forced her to take out bank loans to fund their new life together. So we're seeing some some repeating themes with Robert Freeguard of control by erasing people's past, by cutting all their ties to their family, by not allowing them to speak to anyone or see anyone or be recognised. That's how he gets control over them.
1: Yeah, it's that significant like emotional and financial abuse, isn't it?
0: And oh yeah, he's robbing them blind at the same time. Yeah, of course.
1: Robert had been spinning plates for years, darting around the country to check on the many women he had stashed away. However, it was all about to come tumbling down. Stories of his life as a secret agent had gotten back to Kimberly Adams' family in America. Regard convinced Kimberly's dad to hand over $150,000 to put Kimberly through spy school. He and Kimberly were moving in together, but he was also moving Renata Keister into the same house. He told Renata she had to change her name to Kimberly Adams for secret undercover operational reasons. He now has two people called Kimberly Adams moving into the same house as him.
0: Again, second time he's tried to cut down on the number of names. Strange. So, Kimberly Adams and Renata Keister, now called Kimberly Adams, are both living in that house. Next... He moved Sarah Smith in as well, telling her it was an MI5 safe house that needed cleaning. I think he was trying to simplify the web of lies that he had been trying to maintain, but it was all finally catching up with him. Lawyer Caroline Cowper went to the police to report £14,000 missing from one of her accounts. Sarah Smith's dad, who hadn't seen his daughter in 10 years by this point, had reported her missing, and in the state, the family of Kimberly Adams had gone to the FBI, suspecting they had been conned. The FBI suspected that Kimberly was actually being held captive and a sting operation was set up. So it's taken 10 years, but now a lot of people are going, there's something odd here, and finally this guy is being reported to the police.
1: Kimberly's parents still had contact with Freeguard, and so Kimberly's mum arranged to meet Freeguard at Heathrow Airport and hand over $10,000 on the condition that Kimberly was there to meet them. As the three met, the screech of police car tyres and sirens echoed around the car park. Police intercepted Freeguard and arrested him. I love you, Kim, he shouted, and he was dragged away. In his pocket, they found a passport belonging to Renata Keister. They contacted her and she told the police about the mute cleaner working in the house, Sarah Smith.
0: So once people had reported him, it turns out he was caught fairly quickly. What I find interesting about this, though, is it's the passport in his pocket that leads them to uh, Renata Keister. Renata Keister leads them to Sarah Smith. If it hadn't been for the passport, I wonder if he'd have only been arrested for conning Kimberly Adams' parents. He might have even gotten away with the other stuff, had it not been for that single passport in his pocket.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree, actually.
0: The trial of Robert Hendy Fregard lasted over two years. In that time, he had four lawyers, three of whom resigned. In the papers, he was dubbed the Puppet Master. Fregard's defence was that the lies were all the work of his victims. He claimed it was John Atkinson who came up with the MI5 IRA story. The jury were not convinced and he was found guilty on two counts of kidnapping by fraud. Which is a very unusual crime actually and Freeguard was the very first convict of it. I believe it's also exclusive to Britain as well, that that particular um, count. I don't think you can get found guilty of kidnapping by fraud anywhere else. He was also found guilty of 10 charges of theft and 8 counts of deception. He was sentenced to life in prison. However, the kidnapping convictions were then overturned in 2007 and his life sentence was reduced to nine years. The sentence was overturned by England and Wales' most senior judge and the reason he gave was that Free Guard had not literally deprived two of his victims of their free will. What do we think? So, originally, he gets done for kidnapping. Kidnapping by fraud. Gets a life sentence. Then... In an appeal, a judge decides, actually, no, they did have free will. They could have walked out if they wanted. Do you think they could have walked out if they wanted?
1: No, because I think, like, the emotional abuse was significant. But, mm, I don't know, because it wasn't that long ago, this. So, I do think emotional abuse was around as a terminology. You think
0: they'd have been aware of that as a concept? Yeah, I think
1: so. Sure, in 2007, 10 years ago. It's I. It's a difficult
0: one. That I think if these people are honestly... Thinking, if I leave this house, I'm going to get killed by terrorists. Or if I phone home, my family are going to get killed by terrorists. You're not going to do that. And that's not a free will choice. Like, you're absolutely petrified. I I don't think they did have free will.
1: And he's, like, stripped them of their whole identity. Like, that poor Sarah was told where to work, was told what time to work, was told where to live, was told to not speak English. You know, he was a puppet master.
0: Exactly, he was, yeah.
1: Police have never been able to determine if there were more victims of Robert Fregard.
0: What an incredible story. So there there may well have been more victims. Well, I don't quite possibly never know. I did see a whisper online that this story is getting made into a TV drama or possibly a box set or something like that. Um, It's in the very early stages, but I did see a production company working on it. So... Keep an eye out for it. 2019, 2020, there may be a TV drama on Robert Freeguard.
1: I think I'd like that one. Absolutely,
0: yeah. <laughs> so that is the story of Robert Freeguard. not a spy, but insisted he was. And it's quite a good lie because there's no way anyone could have ever checked. I guess that's that's how he got away with it for so long. How would you check on something like that? If I said I'm a spy, I work for M5, you, you can't even call up M5 and go, is this guy a spy? Because they would obviously deny it even if he was.
1: So now this guy is released, isn't he? Probably, more than likely, roaming about. I'd love to know what he's up to. Robert, if you're listening, give us a bell.
0: Yeah, I hope he doesn't like podcasts. (laughs) Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we would love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because it really does help, preferably a positive one.
1: Or a bit of constructive criticism, but not too constructive
0: or criticism. (laughs) Uh, We'll see you all again next week. Thank you for listening.
1: See ya. Bye.